Yet again, another opportunity to uh, preach the Word of God. I wanted to uh, say that um, it's been a it's been a good visit with the congregation here, and I've met a lot of friendly brethren, and I'm thankful for that, and thankful for um, uh, the brethren here showing my family such a good time. That means a means a lot to me, and so I'm thankful for that. Uh, I really am. Uh, one of the things that uh, the elders and I had talked about before coming was uh, some of the topics for which uh, I would be speaking, and uh, one of the ones came up of fundamental, fundamentals of faith, and I thought about that for a while, and there's all sorts of ways you can go with that, but I thought about just doing something really simple and doing fundamental uh, fundamentals of faith at a glance, and I was thinking about uh, there are six six different fundamental ideas that I think really shape Christianity. And there may be more, but these are the six that I could think of. And I wanted to go over these tonight. Number one is this, the existence of God. You think about the existence of God and what we could say, and there's all sorts of things that we could go in and talk about uh, arguments from the Bible and arguments outside of the Bible, but uh, I think one of the most powerful arguments to me is the design argument. You know, that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as we saw in Psalm 139 and verse 14, that we have to have a creator because you can't just have something without nothing. Romans 1 and verse 20 says that this world, you know, it shows this world is the evidence of God. That the things around us, all those things that we see, show that God is real. That He is the Maker. That He is the Creator. And, and you know, a simple illustration is this. And you go out into a field, and and you're walking through a field, and you find, uh, let's just say, an iPad, a little tablet, and this electronic device. You know, you you pick it up, you turn it on, it works perfectly, everything's fine. And uh, what what do you automatically think? Well, you think somebody has left us here, right? Now, we don't go in the field, find that iPad, and go, I am going to be rich. I have just found the first iPad field. I'm going to harvest these suckers, and I'm going to start selling them for 600 bucks a piece because, you know what, this looks like a good harvest. You know, that, that's not, we, don't, we don't think that, right? Because that's ludicrous. We look at it and we say, somebody had to put this here because this, this definitely has a maker. And this didn't just pop up out of nowhere. We, we could think of all sorts of examples just like that. But the, the idea is very simple. That we know that there is a creator because this world is way too complex. Way too complex. Uh, there's so many examples that we could give, but I always think it's very interesting that that you take something in the human body as something as simple as the eye, and how many hundreds and thousands of years did it take us to sort of replicate that in the video camera? Oh, and that's not even perfect, is it? Right? No, it's not. You you look, you take a picture. And if you've ever gotten a camera and you just take a picture, just a photograph, and you look at it and you go, you know what? That doesn't look as good as when I saw it. This, this just doesn't, I mean, some, 
Sometimes you take a picture of the sunset and you go, oh, this just does not show the beauty of that. And yet, you know, that is something that doesn't even compare to our human eye, right? The camera doesn't even compare. And it took us so long to try to replicate that. And so when you think about that idea, we have to have a designer, a creator, a maker. Point number two. The Word of God as authority. I think that's another fundamental of faith, don't you? The Word of God as authority. You know, you think about this. There's, there's uh, again, with this external evidence, internal evidence. Let's look at some of the external evidence. The Bible, I love this. The Bible is the only religious book that is used in archaeological digs. They look at that and they, they think, well, you know, the Bible says that in this certain area there was once a city. And so what do they do? They go and they look for that city. Because, you know, the Bible, it, it's been proven time and time again to be accurate. And there have been times where people say they try to discredit it and they don't they just don't understand. There have been times like where uh, someone said, well, you know what, if David really was a king, then, you know, we would have some sort of archaeological evidence. Guess what? A few years later, guess what they find? Archaeological evidence of David. Well, you know what, if Solomon was all that wise and great, then we'd have archaeological evidence of him. A few years later, guess what happens? We find evidence. It just keeps happening. And it, it, it just never ceases to amaze me. You know, I've had several studies with people and and uh, one one of the studies that I like having is is actually with uh, some Mormon young men some time ago, and I asked them this question. I said, uh, "You know, the Bible is used for archaeological digs, right?" And they said, "Yeah." And I said, "Why is it the Book of Mormon? Why? You've got all this so-called evidence of Jesus having been in the Americas. We should be able to find something, right?" But yet. It's not there. And yet, they still don't use that book, right? Guess what? Also, the Quran. Do you think they use the Quran? No, they don't use the Quran. They don't use that. They use the Bible. Outside of that, I think about still in the realm of archaeology. Uh, people had said for a long time, Jericho, Jericho, that city where the walls fell down, that, that, that evidently did not exist. The Bible is wrong. And then what happens? Sometime later, we find Jericho. We find Jericho, and, and matter of fact, it's a, just to reiterate how amazing this is, you, you think back to Joshua chapter 6, and you talk about the instance here with, with them marching around the walls. The walls are going to come down, but there's an interesting part of the story. Remember, there was one person who was going to be saved. Who was that? Yeah, it was Rahab and her family, right? So Rahab is going to be saved. You know what else is interesting? The Bible indicates that she lived where? She also lived in the wall. Now, how in the world could she live in the wall and be saved if they fell down? Interesting enough, you look at Jericho's ruins and guess what you find? A piece of the southern wall that did not fall. One section. Interesting, huh? Another thing that, that you know, we, we look at is that the... the 
walls fell outward. We found out that they fell outward. It wasn't that, you know, when a, when a city is being sieged, they knock down the walls. What happens? The walls fall in. The walls fell outward on this one, and that made it very good because they would put plaster on the side of the hill and pour oil on the side of that hill so that nobody could climb up and get up to the wall to do that. And so when they marched around, those walls fell down and made basically a staircase for them to get up into the city. All these things, brethren, backed up by Scripture. Isn't that amazing? We could go on and on and talk about prophecies and all the hundreds of prophecies that have uh, come to fruition. We can talk about uh, things such as the perfect synchronization of Scripture. I mean, have you ever thought about how... Uh, how everything fits together, and it does so perfectly. You know, these people, they wrote it over, you know, hundreds of years, not knowing each other and doing it perfectly. Now, I, I have a preacher friend who uh, he, was, he was doing some research, and he found this, this article that was written. And he was, he was just, I, I just happened to be on the phone with him when he did it. And he was reading this article, and he's like, oh, this is great. This is a great article. And he's going through, and he's like, man, whoever wrote this, this was, this was you know, this was amazing. You know, I'm, I'm glad they wrote this. And, uh, and they get down to the end, and it was their own name. You know, not that they were being, you know, arrogant, but at the end they realized, wait a second, I wrote this. They had literally forgotten that they had written this article. Guess what? Man forgets what we have written. We're not going to remember everything. Just as we don't remember every single conversation that we've ever had. We're not going to remember everything we've written. But yet the Bible was written in such a way that it melds perfectly together. That is an impossibility when it comes to man. It could not have done it any other way. You think about the external evidence. Now let's think about the internal evidence. You think about when it comes to the Word of God as authority, what does the Bible say about that? Well, we mentioned a couple of these passages this morning. John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. In John 8, verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Or what about... Romans 10 and verse 17, that you have to get into the Word of God in order to get faith. Or what about Matthew 28 and verse 18? Jesus says there, what? I've been given all authority in heaven and in earth. So Jesus has all authority. The Word of God has all authority. We don't need anything else. It is simply all that we need. Which brings me to the next point. Another fundamental of faith is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, we've gone over some things, and I'm going to assume that as we're, we're teaching this, that we understand the things that are before. So, so yes, we understand in the existence of God. Uh, we understand that the Bible is all authority. Uh, so now we are to the Lordship of Christ and we see the evidence given within Scripture. And so what do we see? John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. It says what? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We see there through that passage that nothing that, you know, everything that was made was made with this Word. Nothing was, was made without it. And as we skip on down to verse 14, what does it say? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus was from the beginning, and he was involved in creation. You think about Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, God, having of old time spoken unto the fathers in, in the prophets by diverse portions and in diverse manners, hath at the end of these days spoken unto us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So not only do we see this reiteration here of Jesus Christ has was was in uh, in in league with the uh, with the Godhead in creation, but we see also that God says what that He is the heir. Appointed heir of all things. Does that not show lordship? Well, sure it does. But let's think about another thing. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. says this, which he wrought. And by the way, you can you, when you get to Ephesians, stay there. We're going to look there some more. Ephesians chapter 1, 20 through 23. Which he wrought in Christ... When he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So Jesus is, is, is above everything that we could ever think. Ever think. Anything he is above that. Okay. So, and he put, verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Uh, this next point is important. Which is his body? The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Christ is Lord. That is it. It is plain and simple. Christ is Lord. Now, this Ephesians passage brings us to our next point, and that is there is a fundamental of faith in that there is one church. There's not many. There is one. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that there is one church? Well, we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, and what does it say? It says, there is one body. Now, when we look at the context, we want to go, well, what, what does that mean? Is he talking about a, a body as, as in a person's body? Well, no. Because the context is that we're still in Ephesians. And what was the body referenced at as at the very beginning? Look at that, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 23. It's, well, 22 and 23. Gave them to be head over all things to the church, Right? Which is his body? What is the church? The church is his body. Those are one and the same. The church and the body are the same. Now when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, uh, we can see you know, that there is only one body. But there are members 
that make up that one body. And so that is uh, what we are. We are members that make up the one body. And Christ is the head of that body, Ephesians 1.22. He is the head of that body. Not, there are not many heads. There are not many bodies. There is one. There is one body. There is one church. And there is one head to that church. That is Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what? I want to be a part of Christ's body. I want to be a part of Christ's church. But how do I get into that one body or that one church? How do I do that? That is the next point. We have to understand the fundamental um, point of the new birth. Now look over John chapter 3. And we look at John chapter 3 and we see that there is a man that comes to Jesus by night. And what's his name? His name's Nicodemus. And uh, you know why he came to Jesus by night? Because it was nighttime. So he was there at night. We don't know anything else outside of that. We can, uh, can surmise that maybe he was ashamed. It doesn't matter. But we know that he came at night because it was nighttime. And that's it. So when we look at this passage, what does it say? He wants to know uh, what it is that the teacher can teach him. And what does the teacher say? You need to be born again. So he's, he's to be born again. And of course, you know, what's the reply? Well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I'm going to crawl back into my mother's womb? No. You have to be born of water and the Spirit. Yeah, I think about the the passages that we have famous passages from the book of John here and John chapter three in particular. And you think of John three and verse sixteen, you have to keep it in the context of what are we talking about? We are talking about baptism. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life is in the context of obedience through baptism. Now, when we think about baptism, we have to go over and look at such passages as Romans chapter 6. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 4. Romans 6, 1 through 4. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace... May abound? God forbid. Who, who, we who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? Or are ye ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. When we are baptized into Christ, what do we do? We come out and we are a new person. At least that's what we're supposed to be, right? Brethren, how many times have we seen that people, uh, they come up out of that water, they feel good, and they think, well, my sins are forgiven me, and they are, and yet they go and they live the exact same lifestyle that they had before. We're not doing something right. We need to teach what is right on the subject. And what is right is 
that when we become Christians, we are to be different. We are to be sanctified. Thinking about this new birth, we look over at 1 Peter 3.21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. It always amazes me when I look at that passage. And I, I went door knocking several years ago. And uh, I, I was in Etowah, Tennessee, and we were we were door knocking and just inviting people to a gospel meeting and knocked on this uh, one guy's door and he I had my Bible in hand and he came with Bible in hand to the door and I thought oh hey this might be pretty good little little event right here I thought maybe we'll get into a little bit of a Bible study so I'm excited. And he comes over and he says, well, where are you from? And I said, oh, we're from the Athens Church of Christ. We're coming over and invite people to a gospel meeting. And, you know, we're, we're, we're just kind of shooting the breeze. And he says, oh, Church of Christ, you're the ones who believe that you're the only ones going to heaven. And I said, well, sir, we, we're just trying to follow the Bible. And, uh, and he says, well, you all believe. That you need to be baptized in order to go to heaven. I said, well, yes, sir. And he said, well, you can't find that anywhere in my Bible. And I thought, well, I see the side of that thing. And it says New King James. And I'm going to guarantee you what's in there. So I said, well, sir, let's let's open that Bible up. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 3.21. So he opens up his Bible. It's not in there. And I'm thinking, well, what kind of crazy Bible do you have? And so I, I, I think I may have even literally said that. And so I, I, I then look over the top of his Bible, and it was literally cut out. Uh, it's not in my Bible. I'm going to cut that out. I don't want that. Well, you know what? You can cut that out all day long. But First Peter 3.21 still says that we... In order to get salvation, we are going to have to be baptized. That's the implication. doesn't matter if we cut that out all day long or not. Brethren, we have to, we have to obey the Word of God. And the word of God is clear ever since the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.38. What do we need to do? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That word remission. Isn't it powerful? If you've ever known someone with cancer. And they talk about going into remission. How joyous are they when they talk about that? Sin is a cancer. It will destroy you. And if you want to be free from it, you have to be baptized in the Christ. And furthermore, you have to stay faithful to Him, which goes hand in hand with the last point. The last fundamental that I I really could think of is this. Commitment to the will of God. 
You know, we, we, we spoke earlier this morning about Revelation 2 and verse 10. Be thou faithful unto death, and thou shalt receive the crown of life. Now, I, I want to go back and I want to uh, make something very clear. You know, that, that passage, you know, I, I, it's been pointed out to me that that passage uh, is, is not uh, about living righteously throughout your days. Now, I understand that. Uh, let's explain what that passage means. You know what being faithful unto death means? It means being faithful to the point that you are willing to die. Now, that having been said, does that encompass living faithfully? Absolutely. If you are willing to die for the Lord, you are willing to live faithful. You think about uh, such passages as 1 John 5, 3. You know, what, what, what is it you know, we need to do? If we love God, then we need to keep His commandments. And His commandments cannot be a burden to us. They can't be grievous. Brethren, if we are going to be New Testament Christians, then we absolutely must follow all these things, and especially this last one, of being committed to the will of God. No matter what the consequence, no matter what what our friends or our family might say, we should be we should be committed. Now I've got a question for you. I want this to be personal. Are you committed? Are you committed to the will of God? Are you fully committed to the Lord that you would do anything for Him? Even die for Him? Maybe it is that you're not committed. But you want to make things right. Maybe there's someone here that knows that they have not even started that process. They have not yet become a Christian. And we'll be glad to help you out with that. Help you help you to become a Christian today. Maybe you just need some prayers. Or whatever the case, if there's anybody that needs to respond to the invitation, please come as we stand and as we sing. Sweet his cry of love and pity Calleth, turn and listen, stay and labor and are heavy laden lean upon your dear Lord's breast. Ye that labor and are heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Take his yoke for he is meek and lowly, bear his burden to Master holy, he will teach if you will learn. He that labor and are heavy laden upon your dear Lord's breast. Ye that labor and are heavy laden, come and I will give.
obeying, bear his yoke, his burden take. Find the yoke, his hand is on you laying, light and easy for his sake. Ye that labor and are heavy laden, lean upon your dear Lord's breast. Ye that labor and are heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Be seated, please. Before the Lord's Supper is offered uh, to those that haven't had a chance to partake today, let's please turn to number 644. 644, to set the feast divine. To set the feast divine. The bread, the fruit of the vine, and saints commune before the shrine in the supper of the Lord. May we the table's been left prepared for those that were unable to partake this morning. First of all, I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. Anyone who would like to follow along with me, I'll read this in part. And it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And we know that this bread represents the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he had given thanks, he taken break and said, Eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Could I have a prayer for the bread? Heavenly Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, please help our minds to go back to the cross and remember that your Son died there for us and help us to take the bread in a manner pleasing unto you. And in Christ's name, amen.
and now we continue. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he said, Sup, saying this cup in the New Testament, New Testament is my blood. This do as often as you eat and drink in remembrance of me. Prayer for the fruit of the vine. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for all the many blessings that you've given to us. And thank you for this portion of your word that we just heard. And please apply it to our daily lives. And please bless the cups we partake of. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Was anybody overlooked? Well, this continues the Lord's Supper. And if anybody wished to contribute, the plate will be left up here. If you would please take your books and the last song this evening will be number 760. 760, Who Will Follow Jesus? Following that song will be dismissed with a closing prayer. Let us be standing at this time. Who will follow Jesus standing for the right? Holding up his banner in the thickest fight. Listening for his orders, ready to obey. Who will follow Jesus, serving him today? Who will follow Jesus, who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side, Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus, who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side, Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus in his work of love, leading others to him, lifting prayers above? Courage, faithful servant, in his word we see. On our side forever will the Savior be. 
Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am the Lord's son. Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. Shall we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, may your name always be holy. Father, we come before this throne, your throne thanking you with uh, requests and petitions, knowing that you will hear our prayers, and Father, if it be your will, you will answer them. Maybe not when we want it, but in your time. Father, we've had three good lessons today from the speaker that has come our way. We thank you that he has and his family with him. And as they uh, leave to go wherever they're going, we ask for a safe journey for them. Father, we know that there are some that are ill through our number. We ask if it be your will, will you help them to recover their much-wanted help? Thank you that some of them have been released from the hospital, uh, but there are also some that are still there. Father, we thank you for your wonderful son, Jesus, that came to this earth and lived and died, that we might have eternal life. But Father, there's, there's times that we do not do what we need to do, what your word says. We sometimes forget, and we ask, Father, that you'll please remind us to study your word and do what it says. Father, thank you for everything you have helped us throughout our lifetime, and we ask that may those blessings and help continue through the rest of our lives. Father, we are sinful, and we do things wrong And we humbly ask your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus that came to this earth and lived and died for us. Thank you, Father, for everything. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.